0: I felt that, for a long time, I had to hold on to grief like it was my lifesaver, and then I realized that my griefs do not define me.
1: Welcome to Bereaved But Still Me, the podcast formerly known as Heart to Heart with Michael, a podcast for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community. Those of us who are bereaved know that sometimes the biggest challenge can be getting up in the morning and starting our day. Some of us may worry how our colleagues at work will look at us today. Am I still the guy who lost his kid? Or am I just me today? What happens if I get a sudden blast of grief again? How do I manage my feelings? What happens if I find myself being too happy? In this episode, This Precious Life, A Duet of Joy and Sorrow with Alden Solomon, we'll be taking a look at some of those issues surrounding that very challenge. Alden Salovey spreads joy and excitement for prayer. An American-Israeli liturgist, poet, lyricist, author, and educator, Alden is the liturgist in residence for the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. His writing was transformed by multiple tragedies, marked in 2009 by the sudden death of his wife from catastrophic brain injury. His teaching spans from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, and the conservative yeshiva in Jerusalem to synagogues throughout North America, as well as the College in London, and Limud conferences in the US, Canada, and the UK. He's the author of five books of liturgy, including a trilogy of poetic prayer books from CCAR Press. Most recently, This Precious Life, Encountering the Divine with Poetry and Prayer, along with This Joyous Soul, A New Voice for Ancient Yearnings, and This Grateful Heart, Psalms and Prayers for a New Day. Alden's work is anthologized in 15 volumes from Jewish, Christian, and Catholic publishers. Alden also writes for Ritual Well, Rav Blog, and The Times of Israel. He's a three-time winner of the Peter Lissagor Award for Exemplary Journalism and the founder of Mankind Project of Israel. In 2012, Alden made Aliyah to Jerusalem, and you can find his latest work at tubendlight.com. Regular listeners may remember Alden from season three when he did a program with us entitled Healing Brokenness Through Prayer. Alden, thank you so much for returning to Bereave But Still Me. Thanks for
0: having me back, Michael.
1: Well, we've got work aplenty today, so I really want to get right into this. In your latest collection of poetry and prayer, you have a selection called Duet of Joy and Sorrow. I'd like to start with a reading of that, and then we'll discuss on the other side. Great. Thanks
0: for the opportunity. Duet of Joy and Sorrow when the beginning ends and the ending begins so that the beginning can begin again in the moment that the flame jumps from match to candle extinguishing the match to bring light until the light is gone from the first cry of birth to the last sigh of death this precious life sings a duet of joy and sorrow the song of living sung to music from beyond sung to the rhythm of the heavens and the beat of your heart let this day be for song let this day be for joy and laughter let this day be for blessing let us bind
1: our days with holiness and love thank you so much for that We spent a lot of time in this program talking about how people who are bereaved find some way of packaging up our sorrow and bringing it with us as a new and very real part of who we are. But you see it more as an ongoing, ever-changing process. Tell me what you mean by that.
0: There was a time, Michael, that I thought that grief defined me as a person or perhaps redefined me from the moment of my wife's death forward. And... I would be nothing without it. One couldn't understand me. I couldn't move through the world without feeling that grief. And if I let that grief go, then perhaps Amy would be gone forever. For me, over the last 12 years, I learned that that's just not true. I want to take you to the day of Amy's death. We're at her bedside when a doctor and nurse pulled me aside to tell me that it was time to say our last goodbyes. Amy had traumatic brain injury, catastrophic in fact, and it was time for the last, meaning the second declaration of brain death. And after that, the doctors would take over for her organ donation. So I told my daughters it was time to say goodbye to their mother. And I watched the two of them walk silently to each side of Amy's bed, put their heads on each of her shoulders, and hold hands across Amy's belly, across their mommy's lap. Now, I can go to that moment emotionally in a heartbeat, as I have now. It's there. It's present. It's alive. And that grief can also come rushing back, at any moment. And yet, I'm not that grief. What I learned is that if I only focus on the grief, that I'm going to miss the beauty of watching my daughter say goodbye to their mother. I'm going to miss the beauty of the way the doctors and the nurses handled that horrific time. I felt that For a long time, I had to hold on to grief like it was my lifesaver. And then I realized that my griefs do not define me. I am not my grief. I experience my grief. No one can tell me that the grief is going to go away. Nobody's going to tell me that it's going to change. A, it's none of their business. And B, that's not my experience. But what does for me shift is my relationship to that grief. I don't have to define myself as that grief. I can define myself as a man with griefs and joys who experienced the catastrophic and untimely death of my wife, but I don't have to be that
1: grief. And that's the distinction that today I can make. I agree that I don't think my grief defines who I am, but it defines a part of who I am. My grief is part of like any other experience I've had in life, whether it's great joy or terrible grief, everything that we experience becomes a part of who we are in some smaller or larger sense. So I find it interesting that you have the ability to go in and out of that moment at will. And I think that is something special that people need to learn how to do more because that way you can still see the rest of the world around you and experience that as you have experienced everything else and and everything else that becomes a part of you.
0: I consider it a spiritual awakening that I can hold grief and joy simultaneously that they exist side by side. There was a time, Michael, I felt like if I felt too much joy, I was dishonoring my wife's memory. There was a time I felt like I wasn't allowed to have it. And in fact, You mentioned in my bio that I'm founder of Mankind Project Israel, and we do all kinds of work with men and we do work talking about emotions and where they live in the body and how they feel. And I, for the longest time, people would say, oh, you're the grief guy. When we want to talk about grief when we want to explain sadness and sorrow, let's just go to Alden because he's (laughs) the grief guy. He's the grief guy. And I I made a decision at one point when someone said that to me, oh yeah, you're the grief guy that I don't want to be known as the grief guy.
1: You don't want to be tagged. I definitely agree with that. I think it's one of the things we'll find that our neighbors and our close friends and and family will do is that they'll tag us. And that's why I asked in the opening, am I the guy that lost his kid today or am I just me today?
0: Well, I want to go beyond that and say, not just am I tagged with it. Do I, I mean, people tag me with it because I tag myself with it in many respects, or I did, do I want to go through life as the grief guy? And the answer was no, I have experienced grief. I have experienced loss and trauma and pain and sorrow and sadness. I've experienced experiencing my children's grief. But I'm not the grief itself.
1: I accept that. I don't want to say it's a better plane, but I think it's a higher plane that eventually people can get to if they choose to. I think the other thing is that you have to choose to. Some people want to be defined by their grief
0: or they feel guilty if they're not. Absolutely.
1: You brought it up. Am I too happy? I think humans are designed to look for happiness and to be happy. So there's that conflict within you that you naturally want to try to be happy and you feel that somehow it's unseemly. It seems to me that what you're describing here is more of an internal dialogue of existing somewhere between grief and happiness and the motion between the two.
0: I think that's right. There is an internal dialogue within me and a choice also of how I want to show up. I could be experiencing grief And I can choose to go deeper into it by focusing on it. Or I can choose to say, yeah, that's present.
1: What happens when it comes in an unexpected way? A couple of days ago, I was sitting here at work just happily editing somebody else's podcast. And this wave of grief just rolled over me from nowhere. Do you have that? Does that happen to you like that? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. The question
0: isn't, is that going to happen? The question is, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. Do I relish it? Do I deepen it? Do I go to my friends and tell them, oh, I just got hit with this deep wave of grief? Do I post on Facebook about it? In other words, do I kick the wheel, which is a pottery metaphor? Pema Chodron, a Buddhist nun uses this metaphor about staying present with an emotion. If I have the emotion of grief, I have a couple of choices. I could try to push it away, which isn't healthy. I can sit with it as it is and move through my life. Or I can kick the pottery wheel, meaning I can push it to move faster and faster and faster and have more and more and deepen it and deepen it. And kicking the wheel is as unhealthy as burying it. So the question isn't for me, am I going to experience ways of grief? Because I am. The question is, what what am I going to do next? How am I going to move through life? How am I going to hold that? How am I going to interact with myself and others? Am I going to treat myself in a gentle, respectful way by saying, wow, I just experienced some grief that's really human? Or am I going to treat myself badly? Oh, it's 12 years and I still haven't learned how to manage my grief. Treat myself badly by not respecting what happened to me. That's all I can do is make the next best choice.
2: You are listening to Bereaved But Still Me. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at Michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. That's Michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
1: I'd like to look at a poem of yours now, one which I'm told is among the most popular of your pieces, and that I know gets requested at readings quite a bit. And that's a recipe for life. So we'll take that and we'll see on the other side. Okay, thanks for the opportunity. Recipe for
0: a life. One cup gratitude, two tablespoons humility, one half teaspoon pride, five cloves love, two crushed, four seeds forgiveness, two tall stalks strength one tablespoon surrender two sprigs awe three shoots wonder one half cup hard knocks melted one cup fresh squeezed joy one half cup pounded sorrow one cup wisdom sifted one gleaming ray of light two cubes compassion dash of fleeting time Pinch of course suffering, zest of music. One, combine ingredients. Two, stir with abandon. Three, invite friends. Four, sing. Five,
1: pray. You know, I really like that one because it's not in your usual vein. There's something very universal about it, I think, that everyone can see themselves somewhere in there. and Maybe that's why it's one of the most requested pieces that you do
0: i think that's right it's popular in part because of its simplicity it's sweet and it's gentle also we can all see ourselves in it there's some piece of this recipe that resonates with everyone and it is playful and different and often when I'm done reading it, if I'm in a conversation with folks, people will have their own ingredients that they want to add. Like any recipe, it invites personalization. It invites other folks to say, Oh, well, if I was writing the recipe, I would
1: do this with it. How do you feel about that as an author?
0: If they say, you No, know, why don't you have this ingredient in there, or I would put that ingredient in there. Great. That's like the poem's doing what it's supposed to do. Now you can't just print my poem with your words in it. (laughs) It is copyrighted. It is held by my publisher, but if it's getting people thinking about how this metaphor of recipe for life, that's fantastic. Like one half cup pounded sorrow. Yeah. Like, Five cloves love, two crushed. Yeah. Well, haven't we all had at least two cloves of our love crushed?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: One cup fresh, squeezed joy. It just invites folks to think differently about the whole range of emotions that we as humans experience.
1: What interests me, though, about it is there's more than a glimmer of joy and hope inside this. With all the sorrowful ingredients, there are antidotes to almost everyone, There's hope, there's prayer, there's reckless abandon, there's wisdom, and there's joy. So you spoke with me about an undercurrent of grief in your life. Tell me more about that, and tell me about hope, and how you seem to exude both at the same time.
0: Well, let's start with this prayer poem that, that I've read. You know, it ends the recipe with dash of fleeting time, and awareness that we have that our time is finite and we don't know when our time is up, pinch of course suffering, and then zest of music. So there is that balance between the coarse suffering and the zest of music. They're both present in our lives. And it gets to the question that we implied in our last conversation, which is how do I choose to balance the joys and sorrows that I'm going to experience as a human being. What do I emphasize? What do I look at? How do I move through my days? How do I maintain hope? I do a daily gratitude list. Every day I write at least 10 things down that I'm grateful for. I do a daily blessings list. This is after my regular worship. I pray according to the Jewish tradition every morning. And when I'm done, I journal. And that includes this gratitude list It includes a blessings list who I want to bless for the day and what I'm blessing them for it includes looking at anything I might be resentful about and just naming it so I don't carry those resentments forward into the day and I set an intention for the day as well, whether the intention is a simple one to breathe, to remember to take good healthy breaths, or to Remember to smile or have joy.
1: Those sound simple, but sometimes those are the hardest things to do. Remembering to breathe is sometimes very, very difficult. You know, we can be overwhelmed, especially when you get these waves right. that come over you.
0: Let me add that gratitude is a spiritual practice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in a way, grief is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. What I mean is if I'm focusing on my grief, I'm giving it power. I'm giving it emotional spiritual, cognitive, religious energy. And if I focus on my gratitude, I'm also giving it emotional, spiritual, cognitive, religious energy. So if I make the choice to focus on gratitude, I'm gonna bring that forward into my day. You know, the the titles Mm -hmm. of my books Are chosen explicitly to bring this forward this grateful heart this joyous soul this precious life they're designed to emphasize the emotional
1: content i want to bring forward in my day do you think there are different kinds of grief and can poems like this apply pretty much to anybody
0: that's a profound and difficult question let me say out of respect for your listeners mine is one experience of grief all of our grief what you've experienced and your listeners experience they all have universal elements and that binds the grief community together but it's also very particular if you've seen one person's grief in a sense you've seen one person's grief which is both A challenge in trying to understand that other person, but what an amazing invitation that is to witness another person, to hear what they've experienced, to hear what their grief is like for them, how it shows up for them, when it shows up for them, how they move through their own life. I'm talking about my experience of both joy and sorrow of grief loss and some recovery, some resilience. And that may not resonate for everyone, but there's something in there, and there's something yeah. in each yeah. of our
1: experiences. One of the things we found over time on this program is that everybody's grief is individual, and yet there are lines of commonality between all of us, and that we can attach to those lines in order to help each other. That's beautiful. I would say our unofficial motto here is grief shared is grief lightened. And so we use those commonalities to latch on and share and then help each other lighten our grief.
0: I can never really experience the grief that you experienced. We had a different kind of a loss. I can't even experience uh, the grief that another widow or widower experienced. But I have a commonality of experience and I have a kind of empathy that only someone in the grief community can offer so i know that i experience that moment of oh yeah this person's gonna get it i don't have to explain anything i don't have to put anything in context they're just gonna get
1: it and that may be what you're talking about as well If you've enjoyed listening to this program, please visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.org, and make a contribution. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to educate, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, hospitals that treat CHD survivors, summer camps for CHD families, and much, much more. Regular listeners will know that this year I've had some pretty lively conversations on the subject of faith. How would you describe or define faith, and how has that been a motivating factor in your writing?
0: I have a direct personal relationship with God. Now, in the Jewish world, we don't say that very often. Um, You get looked at like you're kind of creepy. But that's the truth. I write because God wants me to write. And I write better than I'm capable of writing because God is helping me out. And when God's done with me, this gift will disappear as quickly as it appeared and that will be that what is faith to me faith is not that god exists but that god is aware of me that god has an interest in my life our lives the world as it operates we have a jewish prayer called shomei tefillah or Shmako Aleinu, hear our voice that ends with the words blessed are you, God who hears our prayer. This is the great promise of prayer. I think it's a great promise of Jewish prayer that God will witness our lives. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm going to get the Hershey bar when I pray for a Hershey bar or right. the DeLorean, which I would prefer, but <laughs> that God is witnessing the joys and the struggles and the sorrows the hopes the loves and the griefs that we face and that it matters in the heavens that the divine is engaged in witnessing our lives that to me is faith the belief that not that god exists but that i matter to god that we matter to god that's faith
1: So with that understanding of faith, you elevate man by making his will and his thinking important to God, which is very interesting. I think that goes very well also with the Talmudic view that man and God are partners in the ongoing creation, albeit that we're the junior partner. So you ask
0: the question, why does the creator create? Ah. And you get, I think, a very simple answer to be in relationship with creation. Wow. If the creator desires relationship with creation, then this is what's expected of us. This is what's hoped for, that we will perfect God's world. We will do tikkun olam. We will repair the world. We will be God's partners. We will, another metaphor in mystical Judaism is we'll reclaim the sparks and elevate them back to heaven. And grief is a spark from heaven. Grief Is the awareness that the imperfections of creation, which were created by the Creator, result in a kind of emotion that is painful and yet beautiful in a way that wouldn't be in the world if that didn't exist?
1: Do you think that there is a divine plan? And can we ever really know anything about that? Can we everything know about our part in it? Should it actually exist?
0: I have a piece that starts something like if God's plan were my plan, I'd have no scars on my skin or on my heart. I, I don't know, Michael. I would say that that's a question that goes beyond my pay grade. The way I move the world the way i got into this place of holding joy and sorrow simultaneously is understanding that i don't get to know the answer at the end of the book of eo job god asks were you there when i laid the foundations of the earth in other words do you know how this works do you have any remote idea of how creation is held together how the universe exists and survives and moves and was created? Absolutely not. And I don't get to know. I don't get to know why this person lives and that person dies. I don't get to know why this person is born and this person is not born. I don't get to know any of those things.
1: And yet we are partners in this creation. So we must be able to find out something at least about ourselves.
0: Yes. And something about the mission as well. The mission of perfecting the world. We have hints and clues and direct revelations about what our job is and our job is love our neighbor our job is building toward peace our job is healing the world that's the mission so i don't know if god has a plan but we have a mission that's for sure
1: that's a very interesting take I really appreciate that. I do. I cannot tell you how good it is to have you return to our program. You've opened our minds and given us pause to think about the greatness of life and our place within it. Your website is to benlight.com, but my mind has been bent and it will always be a pleasure to have you join us here. The newest book is called This Precious Life. It's available from CCAR Press, Amazon, and pretty much any place in the world where you can buy a book. We'll have all the links in the show notes to this. So any listener can go down below and find out everything you need to know about buying Alden's books. Alden, thank you for coming back to the program. Thanks for having me. Love being here. Thank you so much. It's a joy every time you're here. And this concludes this episode of Breed, But Still Me. This episode is the final regular episode for season five, but we will have a special bonus program for you this month in the middle of the month. We'll be posting a bonus five-year anniversary special that you will not want to miss. I'll talk with you soon. And until then, please remember, moving forward is not moving away.
2: Thank you for joining us. We hope you have felt supported in your grief journey. Bereaved But Still Me is a monthly podcast, and a new episode is released on the first Thursday of each month. You can hear our podcast anywhere you normally listen to podcasts at any time. Join us again next month for a brand new episode of Bereaved But Still Me.